Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, hello, my name is Abel, and I'm privileged to be sharing the word with you today. And today we're actually starting a brand new sermon series, a five-week sermon series on prayer. Now, if you speak to most Christians, most Christians actually struggle to pray. It's quite fascinating if you think about it, because prayer is really sort of the taste of our Christianity. It's one of the things that Christians do, is Christians speak to God, we pray. Yet, if we're completely honest with ourselves, so many of us struggle to pray. Uh, lots of Christian surveys has actually shown this, that for many Christians, they, they can understand and believe this truth and, and do so many things of the Christian faith, like going to church and a whole number of things. But prayer is a challenge for many Christians. Now, uh, if this is you, if prayer is something that you struggle with, uh, I want to say that, that this sermon series is for you. It's not going to make you feel bad about yourself or guilty about yourself. But if this is something that, you've, that you're either struggling with or you just have a desire to grow in your prayer life, uh, I'm trusting with you that this will mean so much to you and that this will bring a bit of liberty in terms of the way that you pray. Now, one or two reasons why Christians struggle to pray, and probably one of the two reasons why you struggle to pray. The first reason why a Christian would struggle to pray is because we sometimes struggle to understand the implications of the finished work of Jesus. We, we struggle to, to fully comprehend and take the truth of the gospel, um, or to put it in another way, uh, we struggle to really understand and, and believe this new relationship and new position that you are in because of the work of Jesus. The fact that you are in a new covenant or another word for new covenant is a new way of God dealing with us and us being allowed to deal uh, with him. Um, now, you might say, well, you know, I know what the gospel is, so that's probably not me. Uh, but I do want to challenge that. You know, sometimes we, we understand something and we believe it to a certain extent. Uh, but there's something of the fullness of this new implication that we're not always living in. Sometimes we believe something, but we're not always living in the new reality uh, of what we believe. And so the reason why a person would struggle to pray, and I'm, I'm going to explain a bit about this in a moment, is because we don't fully understand the gospel. A second reason why some Christians struggle to pray is just because we don't understand prayer. So either, either you don't understand the gospel or you don't understand prayer. Now, uh, prayer is uh, something that we can oftentimes teach on. Now, I believe the order of these two things that I just mentioned are very important. Firstly, a person needs to understand their new position that they are standing in with God before you can teach them anything else about prayer. The reason is quite simply this, is that your relationship will always determine the conversation. Relationship sets the, the context for a conversation. Uh, if you were to walk up to a random stranger, you've got nothing in common, you don't know each other, that sort of sets the parameters or sets the context of that conversation. But if I were to you know, speak to one of, my, one of my three kids, one of my three boys, or if I were to speak to my wife, or even to my dad with whom I've got a great relationship with, because of that relationship, it changes the way that we will talk to one another. 
And so that's why the order of these two things are so important. Firstly, you need to understand the new relationship, the new position that you are standing in with God before you can start exploring a new way of talking to God. So one of the dangers is that what we do oftentimes in church is we try and teach on prayer. We try and teach how to pray without establishing and, and reaffirming this new relationship that you are standing in. So you can't do the second without the first. And so that is why even in this uh, sermon series, even though we'll be speaking on prayer, you might at times ask yourself, are we still preaching about prayer? Because now this guy is only preaching the gospel. Um, he's not speaking about prayer, but you have to understand the better you understand and, and believe and start living in this new reality that you are in Christ Jesus, the more your prayer life would be an outflow of this new uh, truth. Because relationship determines conversation and prayer is, uh, let me just say that, prayer is nothing other than conversation. It is a conversation between you and God. You speaking to God, but also God speaking to you. It's just a conversation, but we need to be clear on the relationship. So let me quickly show this uh, to you in, in scripture. Or let me, before, before I read a scripture to you, let me ask you this. What, uh, just thinking about what a prayer would sound like if you were to listen to another person praying. What would a prayer sound like if a person believes that he or she is a sinner standing in front of a holy God that might want to punish them because of their sin? person that believes they are a sinner, that's the identity, the position that they go into a conversation with. What would that prayer sound like versus a person that believes, really, really believes that he or she is a child speaking to a father. What would that prayer sound like? And so there's this wonderful uh, question that the disciples ask Jesus. So they walk with him for many years and Luke chapter 11 verse 1, uh, Jesus does something and one of the disciples asks him, he says, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, they didn't ask him, you know, Jesus, teach us how to do that, that party trick you did with the water going into wine or teach us how to walk on water. That, that's a cool trick or how to multiply bread uh, to feed many people. Those are all great miracles. No, no, they ask him, teach us to pray because there was something in the way that Jesus prayed to the Father in heaven, prayed to God that was different, that they wanted to learn from him. So they ask him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, there's a number of accounts where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. Um, and the Lord's Prayer is a very famous one. Now, just listen to this. I'm not going to read the whole uh, Lord's Prayer. But Matthew 6, verse 9, it starts off, Jesus says, pray then like this. I'm just going to read you the first sentence because this is important. This is where he starts. This is the first thing he wants to teach you about prayer. The first thing you need to know if you want to grow in your prayer life, if you are struggling with prayer, the first thing Jesus wants to tell you is this. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. That's where he starts. Now just to put this in context, this is, uh, I mean, we read this today and it makes a lot of sense. Okay, we can speak to God. He is our Father. It makes sense to us. But for his disciples, this was a radical uh, thought. This was a radically new way of speaking to God. Uh, you see, in the Old Testament, th th there's a big deal um, made in the Bible or in the Old Testament made about the names of God and the way that you refer to God. Th there are even some names of God that you, you're not even allowed to say out loud. 
Um, so, so there's a big deal about how you pray. Um, you were taught how to pray in specific ways and, and how to address this God. And, and much of it is, is really, it, it fits a lot with this idea of a, a master and a servant. And even though there's truth to that in our relationship with God also, but that's the way that people prayed. And now Jesus comes and he says something that's, it sounds blasphemous uh, to the ears. It sounds like he's busy with blasphemy. And he says, pray like, pray like this. When he says, call him father. He is your father. It is a radically new way of, of, of relating to God. And then the rest of the Lord's Prayer, I believe, is an outflow. It is an example of, well, this is what a prayer probably will sound like when you actually believe you are speaking to your Father. And then it goes on, teaches the, the rest of the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is maybe for another day. Now, the reason why this is important is Jesus knows that relationship determines conversation. It sets the context. It sets the tone of the conversation. And that's what Jesus, Jesus was ushering in a new covenant. What I mean with that is that uh, Jesus was bringing about, ushering his finished work on the cross and in the resurrection with his ascension, sending his Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus that is completed for you. And if you are in Christ, that is your new reality. That work was all so that we can stand in a new relationship with God. The way that God relates to us and the way that we relate to God is new. It is the new covenant. It's the new testament. Uh, that's what the New Testament is all about. Explaining to us this new way that we relate uh, to God. Now, there's two ways that you can see yourself. Uh, and therefore, because there are two ways that you can see yourself, there are two kind of ways in which you will probably pray uh, or struggle to pray. And so the first one is you can either see yourself in a, a father-son relationship. And I'll explain that in a moment. And the reason why I'm saying son specifically, or you could see yourself in a, in a master-servant relationship with God. If you see yourself as a master-servant relationship or context with God, you will pray in a certain way and that'll be different. So Galatians 3 verse 26 teaches us the following. Listen to this. It says, uh, 3 verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now this goes on and it speaks a lot about Abraham, that we are heirs of Abraham and, and uh, actually heirs of God. And it speaks about inheritance uh, quite a bit. Now, when it says sons of God, some translations, your Bible translation might translate that sentence to say, for in Christ Jesus, you are a child of God, which makes sense. But the writer was meaning that you are all sons of God. Just after this verse, verse 27 or 28, it actually says there are no longer Jews or Gentile, slave nor free, no longer male nor female. So he's saying the biggest thing about you is not your gender, it's the fact that you are a son of God. So when he says sons of God, he's not speaking about gender. He's saying that in Christ Jesus, you've got all of the, the authority, all of the inheritance, everything that a son had in this time. Now, obviously, Galatians was written about 2,000 years ago. And at that time, the way that it worked, now, the things have changed. It doesn't work that way anymore. And that's why sometimes it's difficult for us to understand. But in that time, if you were a son, you had access to the estate of the father. 
you had full access. Uh, so the sons and the daughters had different kinds of rights, basically. But the sons had this, this right that they inherit everything of the father. They would be heirs and inherit everything. Not only that, but even while the father was living, they had authority on the father's estate. The way that they could relate to the father because of their possession was very different to a way that a slave could relate you know, to the master of the, of the estate. And so that scripture is saying, whether you are a man or a woman, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a son. You've got the same access that a son had in this time. And so we like to say in church, if I, as a man, could be the bride of Christ, then you as a lady could also be a son of God in terms of what the writer means. And then Galatians 4, just goes on the next chapter, Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7, listen to this. But when the fullness of time had come, so just saying, you know, when the full, when the plan of God was fully, un, has fully been revealed or unfolded, uh, that's the moment when Jesus comes and completes his work, right? God set, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Speaking about your possession, because it changes the way that you will relate to your father in conversation. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. The point Jesus was trying to make to his disciples is that when you relate to your father in conversation, which is prayer, it is him as your father and you are a son in Christ Jesus. It changes the context. It changes the rules of the conversation that you have. Let me just quickly use an example. Uh, if you are employed by anyone and uh, you're watching this, uh, just think for a moment about your boss. If you were to walk into your line manager or your, your boss, whoever, head of department, someone working over you, um, into their office, that relationship, I mean, now and then they might ask you, you know, how's it going at home? But what they're really interested in is your performance. That's what it's about. Most of your conversations with your boss in most work environments, especially if it's a master and a servant, would be around your performance. And so therefore, this is the way that we approach Christianity, right? When we perform, when we feel we are doing well as Christians, we had a good week this week in terms of our Christianity, it's as if we've got confidence when we walk into our boss's office because we've done a good job. But when we fail, we feel like we've got no confidence when we walk into that office because we have to go and apologize and we feel a sense of guilt and, and, and failure and shame and we're expecting them to punish us. So we walk into the office with an expectation of what will the consequences be of my wrong actions or we're waiting for that praise. And so it's this, this performance-driven relationship and therefore the conversations will be guided because of uh, uh, by your performance actually that's a master servant relationship but a father son relationship thinking about i've got three boys so i know i mean this idea of father and son is so deep to me and it's so much so much about uh, who god is and his love for me that has been revealed to me just by the fact of me having three sons in the house but the context of our relationship is just so much different 
I mean, sometimes they come to me and they tell me what an amazing thing they've just done, even though it's not that impressive. But I'm always like, wow, that's amazing, my boy. You are so strong. You are so smart. Always praise. That's what the, because there's love, a love of a father to a son. My children are young, six, four, and one and a half. They run to me when they see me. They don't have to make an appointment like I do with my boss. They don't have to knock on the door like I do with my boss. They just walk in, they jump into my bed and they give me a hug. They just start speaking, telling me random stories about which animal is their favorite and what kind of things the animals can do. And they just talk to me because of the relationship that we have. That relationship determines the kind of, I mean, you should hear some of the conversations I have with my son. It, 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 it makes no sense. Uh, to other human beings. But it's our relationship being expressed with one another. And when they mess up, just last week, my, my boy took my wife's sunglasses and he broke it because he was playing with it. And uh, I mean, obviously that's a big blow, especially to my wife. <laughs> but he comes to me and immediately says, Dad, I broke it, I'm sorry. He comes and he apologizes. And he knows he's not expecting this hiding. He feels bad enough about what has just happened. And I help him and understand, make him understand, we're going to apologize to your mother. We're going to make right, uh, say we're sorry. But it's okay, my boy. We all make mistakes. It's a different conversation. It's a different expectation that when you go into that conversation. So in other words, uh, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's their question. His answer is, you should know who you are before you know how to pray. That's his answer. If you are tired of your prayer life, what I wanna tell you, friend, is you need to rediscover who you are. You need to rediscover your position because the context of your relationship will determine the quality of your conversation uh, with God. Now, as we start drawing it to a close, I think the classic prayers that we all know and that we pray so often is the prayer that you pray and then right at the end, you say that little sentence and you say, and forgive us all our sins. Now, I want to just quickly challenge that. Like, just think about this for a moment. If you, every time that you pray, end off with, and forgive us all our sins, it still speaks about the fact that you see yourself as a sinner, you might say, well, we're all sinners, but I'm going to explain just something about that in a moment. You see yourself as a sinner. If you see yourself as a sinner, that's the identity that you have, not a son uh, before your father, but as a sinner, it will change the way that you pray. And that's probably one of the reasons why you struggle to pray, because you see yourself as a sinner. Maybe you should view yourself differently by reminding you of the truth of the Bible. Another way that we sometimes pray is like, uh, you want to ask something, right? And we start off by saying, well, well, God, if you are willing, um, please grant me this. And, and I humbly ask, you know, and then we ask for grant me X, Y, and Z. And I humbly ask this as a sinner before a holy God. That sounds a lot like the servant going to the master. You know the, the way that my sons ask me something? They don't, they don't even say dad, they just ask. I'm thirsty. <laughs> they just ask because they are safe with me. They don't need to say this weird prayer. Oh, dad. Oh, father. Oh, Abel. My father, Abel. If you are willing, may you please grant me a cup of water. I know that I'm, a, I'm, I'm only a very bad son. humbly asking this before his father. No. They just say, dad, I'm thirsty. And I give them water. It changes the way that we pray. 
even on the Holy Spirit, the way that we ask him, it sounds like sometimes we don't believe that he's already resting uh, on us. Let me just quickly remind you about the truth of the Bible. It's the lies of the enemy that will confuse you and will interrupt your prayers. But if you remind yourself of the truth of this new covenant, this new relationship that we're standing in with God, Heaven will be open over your life and also over the conversations that you have. Hebrews 9 verse 26, it says, He has appeared, speaking about Jesus, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, at this perfect time that God has planned, to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. To put away sin. He's put it away from you. Hebrews 10 verse 14, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected you already. You are no longer a sinner. Even if you go back to the Old Testament, where it speaks about this promise, this new covenant that God is promising to us um, in Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, it speaks about the fact that you know, in this new covenant, I'm gonna, you're not going to have a law that is external. I'm going to write it on your hearts. I'm going to write my instructions on your mind. It's speaking about the Holy Spirit that will be a part of you. And then right at the end, uh, Jeremiah 31 verse 34, it says, For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. If you believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of this promise, if you believe that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was part of the fulfillment of this promise and that the work of Jesus is now finished and that we are now living in the new covenant after Jesus in this new relationship, if you believe that, it means when, Jesus, when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. You are no longer a sinner. Your identity is no longer a sinner. It is a son. And therefore, we approach God in a new way. Now, you might ask, okay, what about when I sin? Sometimes, you know, my identity might not be a sinner, but sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I break the sunglasses. What then? Well, then I teach my kids they need to apologize, but it doesn't mean that I send them to an orphanage and say, you are no longer my child because you broke my wife's sunglasses. It doesn't change their status in my house. Their identity, their position is still they are my son doesn't matter how much they mess up. They will remain my son. Their status never changes. Even though they have to come and apologize to me, apologize to the one that they wronged, which is my wife, but it never changes the relationship and the way that we talk with one another. What would your, let me end off with this, what would your prayer life look like if you believe that you are no longer a sinner, that you are a son. You've got full access to everything in God. What would your prayer life look like? What, what would your prayer life look like if you actually believe that you are welcome in the conversation with God? That you don't have to ask permission, you don't have to make the appointment in the calendar, that you can just walk in. If you believe that you are welcome in His presence, what would your prayer life look like? I think it will look a lot more genuine, authentic, I think you'll speak to God about anything and everything. You won't hold, if you've got a thought, you'll just share it with Him. You won't think about how you pray, you'll just pray. What would your prayer life look like if you believe that God is even more eager for you to come and speak to Him than what you are to go and speak to Him? If you believe that God wants you to come and engage with Him in the same way that I want my boys to come and tell me about their day. What would your prayer life look like? 
What would your prayer life look like if you already believe that the Holy Spirit has been poured out and is resting over your life? What would it look like if you don't see God as a master only, but if you saw him as a father? What would it look like if you don't see yourself as a servant primarily, but as a son before a father? I hope this liberates you. I hope that you start speaking to God in a new way. Let's pray together by speaking to our Father in heaven. Father, any person and every person listening to this, and even our camera crew and sound guy here, God and myself, we want to we really uh, express ourselves in a new way. Uh, we really want to step into everything that you've done for us. God, we don't want, you know, this, this wonderful work that you've done for us on the cross and in the resurrection and with your Holy Spirit. We don't want it to be in vain. We, we know the reason why I did all of this is so that we can relate to you in a new way, that we can speak to you in a new way. Uh, God, we want you to be part of everything we do. We know that you're always there, but we want to be aware of the fact that you are with us always and that we can in any moment just look up and say, Father, I need you now. And just share everything with you. Share life. We want to do life with you, God. May that be my reality, our reality, and any person watching this is reality. Bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.